coming up next. Ho, ho, ho. Come in and know us better, man. Welcome to Sanity at the Movies. Little episode we're calling Turn of the Scrooge. That's a play on Henry James, Turn of the Screw, a terrifying tale that maybe we'll do one day on the Bookening Literary Podcast. But this is Sanity at the Movies, the movie podcast. I am Nathan, your humble and obedient host. We've got Benjamin J. Solzer, the ghost of Christmas cinema himself. Ah, uh, here I am. Here you are. My ghostly presence. And your ghostly presence. Yeah. Pale, covered in chains, the yep. chains that you forged Change in life. that I forged in life. That's right. <laughs> And Jake's getting his sound, everything good? Yep. All right, speaking of the man who's getting his sound, everything good, why don't yeah. you introduce him? <laughs> it's the ghost of Christmas future, Pastor Jacob Mitzel. Yep, he is dressed. <laughs> the ghost of the future? <laughs> well, you are, you are wearing a black hoodie. <laughs> yeah, yeah I guess true. I better put my hood up. Yep, there you go. That's better. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And now point with one cadaverous <laughs> hand towards... <laughs> uh, I don't know how cadaverous is my uh, hand here. pretty cadaverous. Jake probably, I, I feel know. insulted. I think Ben... <laughs> I, f- I fear you most of all. <laughs> <laughs> Who has the most cadaverous hand in here? I'd say Ben probably has the most cadaverous hands. They're dry. They don't look very nice, I suppose. I don't know. I wasn't going to. You said it, not me. Yeah, I said it, not you. <laughs> well, listen, Thinking. speaking of things that are dry and not very nice. <laughs> Our humor. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But I was going to say old Ebenezer Scrooge. The guy that we're talking about today. <laughs> he is a guy, <laughs> so far as we know. Hey, what we're going to do, so the conceit of this episode is we're going to talk about multiple film adaptations of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. Awesome. And we have each watched some ad- adaptations of this famous thing. I, 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 the 1943 novella. By Charles Dickens. Have you guys been? The 1943? 1943, yeah. Postdating the movies. (laughs) Yeah, the ghost of Charles Dickens actually wrote this. No, no, no. I'm sorry, folks. It's the 1843 novella, A Christmas Carol in Prose, Being a Ghost Story of Christmas, commonly known as A Christmas Carol. Don't you love those old Victorian titles? Where it'll be like, (laughs) Sanity at the Movies, being a collection of three idiots discussing (laughs) films upon the meaning of cinema, that kind of thing. Yeah. Relic of the Puritans, even. Yeah, yeah, it goes goes beyond the Victorians, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, you got the first blast of the monstrous trumpet against the tyrannical regiment of ladies, or whatever that (laughs) that thing is. Something like that. It's just, yeah. John. Every every book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Well, you need long titles, because people had brains back then. But Indeed. Uh, speaking of brains, it took a lot of brains for Charles Dickens to write a Christmas Carol. No doubt. Have you guys all both read the, the original Christmas Carol? Yep. At some point. I have. Do, do you have thoughts? Do, do you guys have takes? I, I don't remember it well mm-hmm. enough. It's, it's very fast. I, just, I was just looking over it yesterday a little bit in preparation. It's very... It's almost like reading a screenplay or something like that. I mean, it has a lot of those little yeah. My memory before I went back and reread it was that it was actually written as a play, which it's not. But that was my memory of it because that's how it felt. Yeah, it it, it goes really fast and it doesn't really color in. It it does. I mean, it lingers on Tiny Tim. It lingers. I don't want to say it doesn't color anything in because obviously Charles Dickens likes his details and he likes his little scenes where he tries to move your emotions Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. But 
which by the way, was, is there any more condescending way I could have referred to Charles Dickens as a guy who likes his little scenes and likes to his little scenes where he moves your emotions? But point is, it, probably, yeah, probably that hack, <laughs> Chuck Dickens. <laughs> it, he, I don't know. It moves pretty fast. Like if you're used to a film version, then you're used to a lot of shadings of character, whatever they may be. They might just be invented for the movie, but you're you're used to a lot of different shades, no pun intended, that don't actually appear in the novella. It's just like, here's Scrooge. He was a cartoonishly evil man. And here's the things that he said. And here's Tiny Tim. You mean Charles Dickens wrote a book full of caricature? Yeah. Charles Dickens wrote a book full of caricature. It was weird. Always the first time for everything. <laughs> Jake is a famous, if people don't are bringing any context to this, you can go to the bookening. I'm, I'm a just, Dickens hater. Jake is a anti-Dickens kind of a guy. Ben, what's your thoughts on Charles Dickens in general? I, oh man, let's see. I like that one that we just did though. Which one did you guys Tales do? Two Cities. Tales of Two Cities. Yeah, I like I mean, how can you not? I still, I started that. I would like to finish it. I, I like Dickens piecemeal. Heads I mean, will roll. If you if you read a scene of dialogue or a paragraph, you're like, man, this this is a lot of fun. <laughs> is that your subtitle for A Tale of Two Cities? <laughs> That's actually the subtitle, I believe, for Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. But I was right, just but is. I was just imagining yeah. that there That's should be a phrase. book of A Tale of Two Cities, and it should have a little title that says "Heads Will Roll." Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I I liked David Copperfield back in the day. I love David Copperfield, not as a dude, but as a literary as a, accomplishment, as a, as a as a book. Yeah. I haven't read much Dickens honestly, and I haven't read it in years. So I like him fine. He's maudlin. Yes, he is. But I don't know how much I mind. But then again, I don't go and read him. So mm-hmm. He's maudlin. He's got a weird Victorian thing going on with women and children. They're always yeah. either like horrible grotesques or... Hyper-idealized. Hyper-idealized. She was the most angelic being with a little blush upon her yeah, her yeah, cheeks yeah, and yeah. lips made for kissing and this sort of thing uh, this, this uh, perfect li- innocence and yeah this is a, that's almost a quote not not exactly i was hamming it up a little bit but that's right. almost a quote from the way that fred's wife is described i think it does say she had a mouth that was made for kissing and probably had been kissed many times it's like charles dickens you old perv anyway I don't, I don't know. Dickens is one of those guys that you either really vibe with, I feel like, or you do not vibe with at all. Like he's, he is so stylistically removed from anything that we do now that you just either are like, wow, this is really cool. I want to live in this. I want to wash myself in this. Or you're just like, yuck, I, I don't have any. I, I think his, <clears throat> his, his caricaturing style is really fun. Left yes. a lot of good influences, naming characters things that se- somehow match their personalities. Yes, no one does it better than him. The Jellicle Brothers, not even Rowling and Rolling, whatever Rowling. her name is. And oh, then, she obviously took a lot from Dickens. She did, yeah. and it's great that she did. And acknowledged mm-hmm. it. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, it's it's great that she did. That's really fun. That's really these these characters that just make their instant first impression. Draco as, Malfoy, right? Here's who I am, and here's what I'm like. Severus. All it, yeah, all it takes is my name and one scene, right? And yeah. you know everything about me. That's really fun. Yeah, that's a pretty great literary heritage. Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> so good. It's, it is good. Yeah, it's really I mean, cool. Yeah, I it's tip really my hat to that sort of thing too. Yeah, I mean, we take a lot of we've taken a lot of influence from that sort of thing just in how we've approached. Our storytelling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially when we started in parody. Yeah, and 
in that sort of yeah, uh, that liminal space where our parody characters were becoming real, you can find some stuff that's intended and meant and I think taken seriously, but is very over the top. So we're, yeah. we're certainly not opposed to going over the top. I, I like everything that Dickens kind of stands for. Big, splashy books full of plot, full of incident, full of exaggerated grotesque characters yeah hypothetically and, i should love D- dickens for all kinds of reasons i just some of it i think is association and some of it is execution or i just well you know. but mean, you know tale of two cities had me and i enjoyed it people always like to sneer and say he was being paid by the word and you can tell and you can but <laughs> <laughs> he was and you can <laughs> also he was living in a culture where literature was one of the primary amusements and people wanted a long description and And there wasn't another 200 years or 150 years of accumulated literature to pull from right exactly like it was still new so people were like people were hungry and there weren't a lot of sources for anything of substance or quality or yeah or even just worldly incident or history or philosophy like i when I when I read Tale of Two Cities now, I have a million movies and images and things in my head of the French Revolution. But Charles Dickens' readers had maybe read one history of it in their lives or learned about it in school. Like the, he was placing them there in the Bastille and all this stuff in, in a way that well, and it was their parents' generation, right? Right, exactly. And so they're connected to it. So you it's know. like what's comparable would be like the hunger that some of us have for. The 50s or 60s or stuff like that going back and like what was it like how how and we still have a lot more to draw on but like mm-hmm. this you know there's mad men right and there's not a lot like unless you go back to period pieces yeah yeah exactly so yeah and he is also it helps that he is brilliant like he's one of those guys that just never stops never edits himself or he doesn't feel like it's it's like if he has an idea it's going in everything's going in and so you'll it'll be like this conceit this idea this description and then there'll be a brilliant one and if he just had a a good sort of editor you'd like cut out the first three and then you'd leave number four and we would all think that charles dickens was a genius on the level of tolstoy or Shakespeare or just like one of the dudes his face should be on Mount Rushmore. But instead, those absolute diamonds are buried with a whole bunch of cheaper trinkets that he just thinks everything has to go into it. There's not an ingredient that can't go into this pie. So there's brilliant. There's stuff that's stuck with me. Well, but then he gives you Tolstoy. Like Tolstoy exists because of that. Like Tolstoy read Dickens and loved Dickens and also did a better Dickens. Yeah. Hey, what if I did this, but like edited myself a little bit. Had, had Took a little... away some of the cheapness and mm-hmm. elevated the, in the caricature and elevated the realism of it all. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a fun take on Dickens? Yeah. Yeah. Answer? Yes. Yes. Yes, it would. <laughs> but there, there are images that have stuck with me from Dickens. I mean, obviously everything in Christmas Carol is stuck with me, but there's a scene in Oliver Twist, a novel that I really don't like. But Bill Sykes has murdered the, the prostitute Nancy, his girlfriend, for being nice to Oliver Twist or something like that. And he is, what is he doing? He's got like the baton that he beat her to death with and he's throwing it into the fire. And there's little pieces of her flesh that are stuck to it that start to sizzle. And it's just like little images like that that Charles, I mean, that's a really gross one. So sorry, reader. But 
there's there's things like that in every novel where it's just like, well, that's going to stick with me forever. That's a bad example because it's going to stick with you because it's gross. But there's there's really good, powerful passages. I mean, there was any number of there's there's there's, there's this little scene about time and death. I don't even remember what it was in Tale of Two Cities. It's just beautiful. Like every man is a book, and we only get to read a couple pages or something. I, I can't retrieve it from my memory enough to do it justice. But it's like there's real, real great stuff in there and obviously christmas carol's the best i mean we all like christmas carol i guess and nobody anti nope christmas carol so for this episode we'll just discuss as many of these adaptations as as we've we want to but i think we've all watched at least one of them now i should say i did not actually find out I was looking for just the number, like how many exact adaptations of Christmas Carol have there been on the medium of of film, and I couldn't find. And I think it's actually hard to tell because there's like direct to DVD, there's animated, there's streaming stuff. There's, yep. It's just like there's multiple of these every year. Yeah, but live action Scrooge or Marley's Ghost came out in 1901, so one of the earliest surviving. Little British films is a Christmas Carol. There are, let me count one, two, three, four, five. There are at least six or seven of these that came out before the advent of sound. Hmm. This is just one of those stories that. It's like Sherlock Holmes. It's like Sherlock like, Holmes, Dracula, or Wizard of Oz. Wizard too. Of Oz. All those. Yeah, it's just one of those things that people. Mm, Wizard of Oz? Silent, silent film versions of parts of Wizard of Oz or oh, that, really? that story world. Yeah. You can find but it's online. not been redone because well, the problem know, with Wizard of Oz is that the, the, the uh, what's her face version is just so iconic. Judy, Judy Garland, Judas, right? Yeah, it just set the you can't redo that, right? Well, and they tried. They've done things like Return to Oz, which uh, me and Ben are both partial to, but it's like everybody hated it because it's so different. It's, it's much more like the books, but it's nothing like what everyone came to love about Oz, right? Which is not in the books. <laughs> Which is interesting. I mean, Bela Lugosi was absolutely iconic as Dracula, but that didn't stop everybody and their brother and their mother and their sister from making their own Dracula and just, mm-hmm. just revisionist Dracula. Revisionist Dracula. <laughs> well, you can be iconic without being beloved. When you combine being iconic and beloved, you, mm. that's where it's like it's like a Harry Potter, mm-hmm. right? Like we, those movies ended up becoming so tied to and identified with those books. It's going to be really hard for anybody to ever go back, even fifty years from now. And give us a new take on Harry Potter. Yeah. Those movies are just gonna mm-hmm. live as the take for a long time. You know, and the same thing is unfortunately true with the Jackson verse. I was gonna you say know, yeah. Lord of the Rings as well. Yeah, like it I would love for there to be a world where we could have, you know, six different takes on on the Lord of Ring Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. from very different visual and, you know, filmmaking aesthetics. Yeah. Have somebody but, that believes in magic instead of just violence. Do, right. Do a Lord of the Rings be nice. Mm-hmm. But, well, but part of it's the scale and expense too, right? Like Oz, Wizard of Oz was a massive sort of sort of giant Technicolor production. Fellowship of the Rings, same Harry Potter, same. Yeah. Like, so some of the bigness will keep that. I think, the, I think that's true. And I well, think and it's the energy also, and the verve of the time just made it all. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also true, even with Lord of the Rings, but especially with the other two, they're children's properties, and kids lock in and own these things in a way right. that, it, like, an adult seeing Bela Lugosi's Dracula might think, that's wonderful, but they're not going to care if somebody else 
does a Dracula. Whereas it's very different. Yeah, a kid just feels like they are Dorothy, like they are Harry. You know, it would be very. Right. And now you've introduced them to new Harry. No, Daniel Radcliffe is Harry. Judy Garland is Dorothy. Right. Period. And it's a betrayal to which ended up being very financially happy for Radcliffe and Watson and Grint because they didn't sign them for all seven. They signed them for like four or five of them and then they had to re-up. <laughs> oh, man. I remember it being in the trade papers at the time that Radcliffe in particular was thinking about walking. And of course, the other two would walk if he walked. Yeah. And, you know. That's the end of it. They paid his price. <laughs> You're going to pay. Man. And of course they did. Of course they did. And of course they should have. I mean, whatever Dan Kill- Daniel Radcliffe wants, if he decides that he's he wants to do Cursed Child, then you pay him to do Cursed Child. 50 million, 30 million, 100 million, whatever, whatever it costs. Whatever it takes because you could, well, you're going to get it back. Yeah. Especially with the relative failure of what's your uh, the uh, Fantastic Beast. Theory of everything, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But Scrooge is one of those ones that people want to like every generation has their own christmas carol i don't know i, dra- I don't know that that's true anymore yeah unfortunately not as much i had i had some college students over last night and was gonna and i threw on mickey's christmas carol mm-hmm. and i asked them what they grew up with and it was three college girls and only one of them grew up with oh no it's four four college girls only one of them grew up with with, with a christmas carol none of them had seen one of them had seen a netflix version of something or other they thought yeah probably it, none of the other three grew up with any version whatsoever. And so the, we watched Mickey. That's interesting. I wonder if I wonder if there would be another iconic version in our lifetimes. Zemeckis tried with his Jim Carrey thing, but that was a stupid motion capture, ugly animation. I forgot that existed. Stuff. Yeah, just, yeah, that looks terrible. I hate his motion capture stuff. I hate his motion capture stuff. Animation should be exaggerated. The closer it gets to realistic, the more you hit that stupid uncanny valley. And I just, uh, uh, I'm repelled by Polar Express and Beowulf. Oh, what a creepy and, movie. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and his Christmas Carol, his Jim Carrey Christmas Carol is just terrible. I've never watched the whole thing, but anytime I even turn on two seconds of it, I'm like, Ugh, I do not like this. <laughs> at all and so i don't know yeah maybe maybe the maybe christmas carol's finally about to die it had a good run but let me see so let me let me hit some other highlights from the history of christmas carol adaptations the right to be happy in 1916 was the first feature length adaptation that's a silent movie because the the right to be happy is such a good specific Christmassy title, so much better than Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. Ben, I believe, is going to talk to us today about what is called Scrooge, a 1935 British movie starring Seymour Hicks. That's right. Who actually starred in the 1913 silent short called Old Scrooge. You can find it on YouTube, folks. So this this guy did his versions. The version I thought Ben was going to watch was A Christmas Carol from 1938 with Reginald Owen, the big lavish MGM version, kind of the first high studio version and not a particularly well-regarded version now. I think people like it, but the sto- the the sort of Is con- that the version that I started watching on it's on uh, HBO. HBO Max yeah. last year and couldn't. I also started watching it on HBO. I wasn't repelled by it, but I just wasn't compelled to f- Well, yeah, I, 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 I wasn't turned off. I just wasn't like, why am I? I was just like, why am I watching? And it starts with a bunch of extra bookular kind of ice skating and stuff. Like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Just draw me in with the story. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the consensus on that version seems to be that MGM was such the studio of glamour and of lavish production that they would often shoot themselves in the foot by making a story lavish when it did not need to be. And so in that version, Cratchit gets fired and he decides he's going to blow his last paycheck on a big Christmas party. And so you spend time with the Cratchits having a pretty lavish, happy Christmas party. In the world. And, and then we kind of rush through the ghosts and stuff because that's all scary and depressing. But what we... But, it it just ends up being lavish Christmas cheer from one end to the other. And it's like, so that's exactly, by the way, what Siskel and Ebert described they would like from Mickey. I wish we would spend more time with the Cratchits, more time with Mickey, more time with the happy family of Mickey and Minnie and kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Getting into it, are we? And, Not yet. We'll get to it. We'll get and, to it. And I wish that they would have just taken a totally different, original, sarcastic, sideways take on this mm-hmm. and, and added material to it. And changed it. I, I will say, well, no, I'll save it. I'll save it. We'll, 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 we'll get to it. Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs down for Mickey's, Mickey's Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. Yeah. The version that a lot of people will probably be familiar with if they're a little bit older and not Jake's College Girls is Scrooge, which is known in the States as A Christmas Carol, starring Alistair Sim. That is a, a British production. A lot of people- Yeah, one of my college students knew Sim and Scott, which I think are- Really, the two that you have to... Those are touchstones for a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. They're awesome. Some people will be familiar with the really kind of bad, but sort of hilariously bad 1970 musical adaptation of Scrooge. With Finney. With I'm kind of interested just because... I mean, it's a trip. Uh, Finney <laughs> sings, quote unquote, and the songs are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I hate life. Life hates me. Life and me never truly agree. That's, uh, that's no. There's one good song. <laughs> there's one good song where the townspeople sarcastically sing, "Thank you very much." Thank over Scrooge's corpse or something. They're, they're singing like about it's kind of a jolly Oliver mm-hmm. kind of style musical number that almost wow. reaches kind of a Monty Python level of smarm. But that one's got some good stuff. It's got Alec Guinness as Marley, and of course, he's superb, as he always was. And then you kind of get into the era that we were alive for. You get Bill Murray's dreadfully cynical... Scrooged. Scrooged. I went back and rewatched that a couple years ago. Oh, my goodness. It doesn't work. It's so bad. You, I've you never really, seen You it. really want it to work because... Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's Bill Murray. It's a comedic, you know, take on... on the, the classic and it's like well and bill murray that idea yeah bill murray as a, C, a modern ceo scrooge like and you just imagine him really pulling off both sides of well know. and also bill murray is the greatest he's in the greatest 80s special effects comedy and you just you want there to be another one you want there to be yeah. another ghostbusters another bill murray plus special effects equals Fun time at movies, but Scrooge is not it. In the idea, I I really love the conceit of Bill Murray as Ebenezer Scrooge because he can he's a such a so good at that crotchety sort of grumpy, sarcastic. You know all the scenes of turning down the the people who are coming and asking for money, like d- just the you know fun, dry wit, mm-hmm. you know hilarious, mm. be mean to people, ham it up, being mean to people. And then make the turn at the end to, without losing that sort of fun, sarcastic edge. But the problem is Bill Murray, I mean, even in his great Scrooge movie, which is Groundhog Day, it's a little questionable whether he really pulls off the turn. Right. And also Bill Murray, I think, is 
the kind of guy that you root for. I mean, his whole thing is he's a total jerk and you like it. You want to watch him just, you know, when he comes running mm-hmm. over the railing to come seduce Sigourney Weaver and Ghostbusters, you're just like, ha ha, Bill Murray doesn't care about anybody. It's the first scene in Ghostbusters where he keeps zapping yeah. the poor college student that can't get the answers wrong and or, or can't, that's actually getting the answers right and then the stupid while he's sitting on the girl who can't get anything right yeah bill murray's just the kind of guy that dares you to go along with him when he's being naughty and and you might say that that is part of the charm of a scrooge movie is that we actually kind of like being misanthropic along with scrooge but not in that way we we have to at least ostensibly be rooting against scrooge and that's actually we have to be rooting for his conversion right rooting for his conversion and it's like with bill murray movies you don't really root for his conversion because he's going to be less entertaining once he's converted i I saw a a quentin tarantino riff where he says he hates all bill murray movies because bill murray always has to be nice at the end and he says that's not what the audience actually wants now bill quentin tarantino's wrong movies need endings (laughs) (laughs) you actually do even though you know it's just hypocrisy and lip service you want the hypocrisy and lip service of bill murray's nice now at the end of the movie but i understand where tarantino's coming from because you don't actually buy the bill murray ever changes all that much anyway scrooge it's a horrible movie it's a horrible movie it's not funny it's not funny it's not fun it's it's like twisted in all the ways that are just like man why'd you go sexual there why'd you go gross there yeah it's kind of the i don't it's not amblin i don't think but it kind of has that (laughs) amblin feeling of we want to say this is for kids but then stuff a bunch of yeah it's just like something for daddy in there it's no good it's just not fun there's nothing fun about it like i thought it would be i and i didn't i i was you know smart enough to not try to show it to the kids i just thought oh maybe amanda and i will have fun with this you know yeah no i think meredith tried to watch that one and got the other thing is, Bill Murray is a charming rogue. You want to, well, I guess I already said this, but you really want to root for him. So when he is just playing a truly nasty character, it's not likable. Like, he's almost mm. too good at it. Like, it's just like, no, I, I, I want to be able to laugh as Bill Murray puts these poor people down. I want to be able to laugh at how deliciously terrible he is. But when he's just actually terrible, it's, it's really off-putting somehow. So that was in 88. And then I think the next major version is probably one of the most beloved of our audience. I'm going to take a wild guess, which is The Muppet Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. 1992, starring Michael, my cocaine. I've been told by someone that, I forget who, that if you want to do his accent, you just say the word my and the word cocaine. So you say my cocaine, and you will be saying Michael Caine. As if Michael Caine were himself saying it, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard the same thing. Michael Caine? That is exactly what Siskel and Ebert wanted Mickey to be, by the way. Is it? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because it's got enough jokes. But it does play the Scrooge story. Very straight. Very straight. I mean, Michael (laughs) Caine himself. It plays the Scrooge story straight, but I think that they would, I mean, I don't know. I didn't go and look and see what they said, but it's got the sarcasm and the sideways and the addition of the musical stuff and the creativity Mm -hmm. And whatever that they... Yeah, the Muppets are doing their little comedy routines in the corner of the screen at, all, at pretty much all times, even mm-hmm. the sincere moments. But I think that movie really works. And I don't think it's just nostalgia, although I certainly saw that one when it came out. I don't out have a lot of it. nostalgia for it. I didn't actually grow up with it, but I do, I do love it. I grew up with it. Yeah, I saw it a million I, times. I saw it maybe once or twice as a kid. I remember loving it like the once or twice that I saw it, but we never had it and it wasn't part of our Christmas cycle each year. 
Mickey was. But, right. But but that one wasn't. And I remember I just I still love it. I mean the but, classic comedy duo. Like I can't of, sing I can't sing the songs because I just they're not in me like that, you know. But they're some of them are pretty catchy. Oh yeah. Actually. If you remind me of them, maybe I can There goes Mr. Humbug. There goes Mr. Grimm. If there was a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. <laughs> Old Scrooge loves his buddy because he thinks he gives him power. <laughs> if he was a vegetable, he'd be a cauliflower. Something like <laughs> Something that. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. No, I, 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 I love that movie. I mean, uh, there's that dorky song that the big guy sings, the... <laughs> well, one of the things that I love about <laughs> yeah. even the conceit of you know, how the Muppets do anything like this, and, and also what Mickey's Christmas Carol did, is I, I really love the idea of we've got our stock characters. Mm-hmm. Let's plug them in. Right. Find the right. place where they all make Let's sense. Let's find the place where they all make sense. And I would love to do a Ville yeah, we've talked about take it before. on A Christmas Carol for the exact same reason of like, all right, you know, if Disney did it, Chip McGregory would be Marley, and that would, you know, but who's Chip going to be in our version? Mm-hmm. If the Muppets did it, you know, what's Chip? Right. Like, where does he fit? I, you know, probably <laughs> no matter what, Lance is stuck being Cratchit. Mm-hmm. But okay, fine. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, right. but that's that's the glory of Lance and the curse of Lance. That's why Mickey is Cratchit. That's why Kermit's Cratchit. You know? But but the Muppets stock company really maps onto Christmas Carol particularly well. I mean, Kermit and Piggy are great as the Cratchits. It's right. exactly what Dickens you have Mr. had in mind. <laughs> Mr. Fozzywig. Mr. Fozzywig. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's for a better fit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, Scrooge McDuck as... Yeah, as yeah, a very obviously pretty I mean, one-to-one. He's yeah. already a namesake of Ebenezer Scrooge. Right. Or, sorry, is that the other way around? Ebenezer Scrooge is no, that's right. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Well, the great comedy team of the Great Gonzo and Rizzo the Rat never yeah. never fails to elicit a chuckle from me. Especially. Well, you know, the idea of ah, oh, we're going to narrate this mm-hmm. and have somebody taking us through this story that was pretty. That was a pretty. Fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Gonzo fun, asserting fun. that he is Charles Dickens. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rizzo being appalled at the very idea. <laughs> that was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that movie really works. And Michael Caine is great at never winking, even when he's got Mupp- yeah. Muppets doing like hula dances and stuff in front of yeah. him. He's just outraged. So Marley and Marley. That's another good one. Yeah, yeah. Marley and Marley. <laughs> it is the season of the spirit. The message, if oh we my, hear it, oh to make it last all year. <laughs> oh, that's really dirty. <laughs> Inserting Bob Marley jokes. Yeah. yeah. Statler and Waldorf are great in that. I mean, Kermit and even the little Kermit, the little frog guy. I never remember what his name is, but he makes a credible Tiny Tim. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a really terrible song, famously terrible. We always fast forwarded. It's the love song from his it, past it's cut well actually jake not in the no, video they reinserted it well yeah not no in the vhs in the vhs, VHS it was cut out was or no, no the VH- no, vhs that we, we grew it. up with it had it but we cut it out <laughs> yeah we, you, but then the dvd they cut it out for you katzenberg always hated it and the big disney honcho at the time he's just like this is a kid's movie you're slowing things down he was correct no and he was maybe correct but people have enough nostalgia for it slash that kind of Mandela effect. They're like, was that in there? Did that exist? I remember that existing. I grew up with that. Where'd it go? Except for it's not the Mandela effect because it did exist. But Disney has decided to insert it back in. It will be available December 9th, I guess two days from the day we're recording this. But by the time you listen to this, you can go 
and watch Christmas Carol on Disney Plus with the Love is Gone number. Can you watch it without it? Can you choose? Yes. If you just default, if you just pull it up and hit play, you will watch it without it. You have to go to the extras <laughs> section That's to find hilarious. the buried treasure that is the version with Love is Gone. I, I always felt, thought that song was boring. The I, love I, is gone. I never thought his fiance was pretty kid. I mean, <laughs> wow. I just, it was all, yeah, it was all, I was all like, like I don't like this. You know, it was boring, but I, I liked that boringness like, like I, I almost want it to be in there so that i can manually fast forward it like, like that's just part of the experience of watching <laughs> <All> <laughs> christmas carol like uh, it's, it's like sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band it has that stupid every, every beatles album of their second half of their careers has this stupid george harrison sitar song and it's like would i get rid of those i hated them i always skipped them but you kind of want George's sitar song to be in there just so you can skip over it and be like, ha-ha, George is stupid. Anyway. It is a great Isabel is Daisy Duck. Isabel is Daisy Duck. What? Who is Isabel from A Christmas Carol, though? Isn't that, did I make up the name of Scrooge's lover? Oh, uh, yeah. it's. I think she has different names and different adaptations. She's, oh, so she's, 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 she's called Belle. Yeah. And so maybe that's short for Isabel, or maybe it could be. Maybe that was just. I don't little... know that she has a name in Dickens. I think in, she's definitely called Belle in Muppets. Is she called Belle? She's in... called Belle in the one that I just watched. Okay, maybe in the, maybe in the nineteen thirty-one. Maybe Dickens. Or, sorry, thirty-five. Maybe Dickens called her Belle. And then Fan or Fanny is the sister. Oh yeah, right. no, yeah. Sorry, Dickens did call her Belle. I'm sorry. So Isabel. Yeah, okay. I just found it on our good friend Wikipedia. So where are we? I was just going through Christmas Carol adaptations. So after the Muppets, things kind of slow down. I mean, I'm going to talk about the TV and animated adaptations. I've only been going through live action adaptations, but that's that's really the last major live action adaptation. There's been lots of TV movies starring different people. There was something called The Passion of Scrooge, a film based on an opera about Scrooge. There's been lots of musicals, wow. but let's talk about animated Scrooge for a minute. So the major animated ones are Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol from 1962 which a lot of people swear by, actually. I've never seen it, but huh. it's Hanna-Barbera, crummy animation, but apparently the score is quite good, huh. and it's got a, got a lot of great songs, and people really like it. That may just be people who have are old enough to have some nostalgia for Mr. Magoo. Mickey's Christmas Carol, of course, which we'll talk about today. Famously, or not, not so famously, I actually wasn't aware that this wasn't a little bit older. I think I thought it was more vintage, but it's actually from the 80s, so it's very much post Walt Disney. It's very much in Disney's just pre-Renaissance days. Like it's yeah. in the bad times of Disney. They they're they're scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to figure out what what their next move is, and and they're about to bust loose with Little Mermaid and mm. Great Mouse Detectives probably right on the right around the corner before that. So so they're Rest figuring years. they're figuring things out, but the their glory days are long behind them and their second wave is yet to come, which is why they probably went to Mickey. Like, what can we do that mm-hmm. the people will and you can hear some of that in the Siskel and Ebert review. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's very clear that there's a context to that review and that context is not it's actually kind of a sweet context. It's like we they, they grew up with the original run of Disney stuff. They're hungry for it. They're excited for it. And to their mind, the Mickey thing just didn't live up to their any memory. Of that, to yeah. Any of that, in terms, especially in terms of just creativity and fun, and nobody else is doing anything like that. Right. Exactly. So Mickey's Christmas Carol is eighty three, and then we have, I mean, there's Bah Humduck. 
a Looney Tunes Christmas. There's all the all dog an all dogs Christmas Carol sent in the set in the all dogs go to heaven verse. Ooh, wow, uh, which sounds terrible. There mm. is an animated one that just went to Netflix called Scrooge colon a Christmas Carol Dawn of Justice, and we've got the 2009 Robert Zemeckis Zemeckis travesty that I don't know anyone that really liked that one. I mean, I think that whole experiment. I mean, we we always give Lucas a lot of credit for pushing technology forward. You know, the one that you didn't bring up in this whole that I've heard a number of people go back to as beloved is Patrick Stewart. Yeah, actually, I'm getting to that. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. No, no, no. I'm, there's also famous television. So I've done animated, I I've see. done live action, and now television is actually where a lot of the versions that people really love have landed, and there's just been a million. There was one of the first television adaptations had John Carradine, who we just saw in Stagecoach. He yes. was the gambler. And Eva Marie Saint, I think, played the bell part of our North by Northwest. Or no, yeah, that's her, North by Northwest fame. Rich Little, the famous impressionist, did a really crummy television special that people of a certain generation will remember where he does a different impression, one of his famous impressions for each of the characters. So it's like Scrooge is Rich Little playing W.C. Fields and Cratchit is Rich Little doing his Nixon impression. Probably not Nixon, but it's a real time capsule of total crap. Christmas Carol, 1984, the George C. Scott version, which I will be talking. There's two things I want to talk about today. That's one of them. And that version, for my money, is absolutely perfect, but we'll talk about it. A lot of people swear by the 1999 Christmas Carol television movie starring none other than Captain Picard, Patrick Stewart, based on his one-man show. I guess Patrick Stewart used to do a one-man show of Christmas Carol, and they adapted it into a television movie. I have seen that one. It's just hard. You lock into one you, if you do grow up with one. I grew up with George C. Scott, which has a great deal of fidelity to the original text. And also, the additions that it makes are great. And the Patrick Stewart one is like always cleaning up the language for modern people. It's just like, it's always, it's, it's like the difference between reading the King James Bible and like the New Living Bible or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just really hard to hear, you know. I, mankind was your business, your comprehensive drop in the ocean of your business. Like I'm used to those cadences and mm-hmm, then when they mm-hmm. turn it into, it was just a drop in the bucket of your business. Like, it's, uh, it's just like it really robs mm-hmm. the poetry. But Patrick Stewart, of course, phenomenal Scrooge, as you'd expect. And, and every one of these adaptations has their little grace notes that are nice. In, in, in the Patrick Stewart one, I remember he goes to church at the, like he, He's redeemed. He walks out and he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's going around. He sees the two guys and promises them lots of money. And then he just walks into church and it's kind of cute. Like he doesn't know any of the songs. And I think a little old lady comes and shares a a hymn book with him or something like that. So Hmm. Christmas Carol, the musical starring Kelsey Grammer in 2004. Didn't know that existed, but I'm sure it's great. If you're a Frasier fan, as I have been at certain points in my life i think i've mentioned well there's there's more so there's another list that has some that i don't think you mentioned because i I got a little there's so many animated versions i got lots did you mention the flintstones christmas Carol? no i meant to okay thank you you're welcome (laughs) okay and so there's 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 a 1997 animated christmas carol did you you might have mentioned that i don't know there's there's another 2001 animated christmas carol 
And there's a Rankin Bass Christmas Carol uh, uh, animated Rank, Rankin Christmas. Rankin Bass, if you please. Sorry. Called The Stingiest Man in Town. So they're the guys who famously did Rudolph you know, the, and The Hobbit is what I grew up with watching yes, yes, yes. all the time. Sure. The greatest adventure. Some of the most fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Some of the best folk music yeah. you'll ever hear. Yeah. So 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 those are those are other animated ones. And then there's one I had never read about until this article. It's an it's a recent FX A Christmas Carol with Guy Pierce, like a gritty, dark. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that one. It doesn't look good. Yeah, I mean, listen, we haven't said half of them. I mean, there's a bunch of TV adaptations, directed DVD, any yeah. property Endless. you can name. Uh, you know, the Smurfs have done their Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. Whoever, if like I said, uh, the Ville probably, if it goes long enough, will do. A Christmas Carol. It's just it's, what happens. It's just it's if, inevitable. If you have a creative property and you can fit it in, I think probably half of the sitcoms that are, you know, I mean, did Cheers do a Christmas Carol episode? I don't know, but probably it's not outside the. Well, realm how of many Christmas? I mean, the other thing is, how many Christmas movies are just a Christmas Carol? Right. It's a Wonderful right. Life is famously a Christmas, Christmas Carol adjacent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can I? Mm. Absolutely. There is also. The version that I watched last night, I have watched or at least reminded myself of the George C. Scott version coming up to this, which is something I've seen a hundred times. And I don't know that that's an exaggeration. I mean, we watched it every Christmas growing up. I've watched it many times in my adult life. Sometimes we watched it multiple. I guess a hundred times is probably an adaptation, but I know every moment of that thing really, 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 really well. That is one of the th- one of the movies in my life I've probably seen the most times, so I'm very familiar with that. I'll be talking about the, that today. I will also be talking about Spirited, the Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, and Ryan yeah. Reynolds Apple Plus production. Each of them were paid $20 million Seriously? to star in a musical Scrooge-adjacent story where Ryan Reynolds is a vile CEO of a media company that trucks and sort of trollish internet conspiracies and stuff like that ryan reynolds plays someone vile in his movies <laughs> he does he does could it be but he has to be redeemed by will ferrell as the ghost of christmas present naturally who's part of an organization that chooses of ghosts that choose one person every christmas to try and redeem but there's only two people that have ever been marked in their file as irredeemable and one of them was ebenezer scrooge and one of them was Ryan Reynolds. And three guesses as to who Will Carroll, Farrell's character used to be in his formal life before he became... Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah, you got it in one. I thought wow. it would take three. So I watched this version. I will talk about it. All right. When the time comes, I thought it would be an entertaining thing to talk about. It's a, it's a new movie for us to have in our pantheon of classic Christmas films. That's what I thought. You can read it right <laughs> off of your face. Well, you know, here's, here was the argument. The argument is I don't hate Will Ferrell in the right role. Like, I'm not a Will Ferrell hater. I also don't really hate Ryan Reynolds. In fact, I kind of like him. I mean, I think Deadpool is absolute trash. I think every time I see like an ad, which is frequently with Ryan Reynolds selling his gin or selling mint mobile or whatever it's like oh man this guy's way overexposed i understand all the reasons to hate ryan reynolds and i don't know that he's made a movie that i've really liked but i I watched a little bit of his welcome to wrexham documentary 
Mm-hmm. Or maybe just the first episode. I don't know what that is. He bought a he bought a team? yeah, no, just the, like a like a British football team. Yeah, that was trying. You know, had some former glory in its past, but was so cellar dweller. The way that the you know it all works there is once you get demoted so far, it becomes really hard to climb your way back up, especially if you're ever going to get back into the Premier League. Huh. And so this it was a team that had former glory. It was in a town that was kind of run down and. You know, it's going to take a lot to get it to even to begin to climb up the ranks. And so he and a buddy bought it and poured a bunch of money into it and made a documentary. And hmm. If I had to guess, I'd say that's probably a perfectly charming puff piece. It it seemed to be about that, although it still had to some, you know, enough sort of docu real language that you don't want to watch with your kids or right. something like that. But I would probably like Ryan Reynolds and something like that. I, I, I will just cop to it. I find Ryan Reynolds to be a appealing performer. I think of all these guys who have successfully sort of made a brand out of themselves, Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds, a handful of others. Farrell too, right? Who? Will Farrell too. Right? Well, sure, but Will Farrell's from an older generation. There's this mm-hmm. new generation where it's just like, it seems to be so driven by social media metrics. Like how right. does Ryan Reynolds even pick his projects? It's not because he's excited about them. It's because that's the thing to do now. Uh, it's what Will Smith has been trying to do, but Will Smith's been on an Oscar track and Will Smith also, also just has enough personality that sometimes it breaks through like it did at the Oscars. Dwayne Johnson, I don't know who that guy is in real life. I don't know what he's like, what his values are. What he does he even know? Uh, he, he always, he plays it so safe that it's just, he's boring. I mean, I saw some early Dwayne Johnson stuff, like a movie called The Rundown, just a little action schlock yeah, movie. super fun. It's fun. Like, I, I was like, hey, hey, cool. This guy's the new Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever. This would be great. But he's played it. He's played his career so safe, and he's made a yeah. ton of money doing it. I mean, you can't argue with him as a businessman. Well, it's international, and that's part of the safety of it, right? Right. Like, like, if you're going to develop an international brand, you have to be ultra safe. This movie will take a, no risk because it will offend no one. It, yep. it needs to play it needs to everywhere. Play in China, it needs to play in India. It needs to play in the Middle East. It needs to play everywhere. Which means there can't be anything available. too interesting. Like, we don't want good dialogue. How's that going to translate? How are we going to lip sync that for China? Yep. So, anyway, Dwayne Johnson's just so, so boring. And there's a whole breed of guys like that that are so boring. Pratt obviously is another one that a lot of people are out out on these days. But I'd say Ryan Reynolds is far and away the most, to me at least, personally appealing of those guys. Like, I think he's pretty funny. I don't know. Sorry. I mean, I hate funny, handsome guys because it's like, you're handsome. You don't have to be funny. But Ryan Reynolds is kind of the complete package. He's charming. I like him. I like I like his social media presence with his wife, Blake Lively, and he's I like him in interviews and stuff. So sorry, but I do. And so I thought that this might be a charming little thing. And then it had songs written by the La La Land team. And I thought, okay, well, the music might be good. And spoiler alert, the music was great. So we'll talk more about Spirited, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we have to talk about all of our adaptations here. So I guess we'll go in chronological order of release date. Your Ben, yours is from oh, 1935. 1935, sir. Most people won't have heard of this version, so yeah, introduce just, us to what it is. Well, and, and you should preface it with your baggage. Yes, yes, yes. That's sure. True. Yeah, I grew up every Christmas watching the Alistair Sim version of A Christmas Carol. Never once until three, two years ago did I see the George Scott Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. 
Huh. And the only other Christmas Carol that I ever saw, I, I know I saw Mickey at some point, but it wasn't a thing for me. Mm-hmm. I never cared about it. Don't remember it. But we, we did have Muppet Christmas Carol growing up, like I said. So that was a thing once it came out. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, Sim was every year. Right. Along with It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Story. So we would always watch those three every year. So I have a lot of nostalgia and fondness for all of them. Mm-hmm. I don't always want to watch all of them every year. I feel like I'm a little oversaturated. But so Sim, Sim was great. Sim was the man, really enjoyed it. So Sim would be like, when you, if I just say the word Ebenezer Scrooge, Sim is what pops He into instantly my... comes into my head yeah. <clears throat> with, all, with his way of playing Scrooge, which is kind of rich and ironic. Uh, this version is quite different. This version is, um, this is Sir Seymour Hicks, who was a super popular British actor and stage performer. Who would... hasn't come down to us for anything else. Like, no. He's not, he's not really famous no, for any no, other no. movies. But at the time, he was very successful and successful enough to like build his own theater, which still exists, though not, it had his name on it, but it's no longer the Seymour Hicks Theater in London, I think. It's something else. So, so he did, he played, started playing Scrooge on stage in 1901. And he played him like more than 2,000 times. And then he was in that silent movie, 1913, which you can find on YouTube. It's like 25 minutes. It's pretty uninteresting, except as an old silent movie. Mm-hmm. And then, then this movie, which unfortunately, you, so you can also find this for free on YouTube. You can find two versions. You can find like an hour version. You can find an hour and 17 minute version. And <clears throat> the problem is that the prints are so bad. Like it... The longer versions I found, which you want, because they include more from the book, they include more of the scenes, the, it's just really, it's hard to see. It's actually hard to make out characters' faces and stuff. The, I, found, I found a shorter version that was much better quality in terms of being able to make out detail and lighting and stuff. Mm-hmm. You could see people's faces and their performances. But the problem with that, aside from all the cut stuff, is that it's just, it's, it's a lot of, sorry, Nathan, what's the word for it? All the blips and bloops. Floating across the grain of the film. Blips and bloops. Just lines, lines. Film degradation. There you go. Well, it's quite degraded. And apparently there's not a good print of it around. I did see something. I saw like an ad for a colorized version, Mm -hmm. which sounds terrible. The thing you have to remember, folks, about film is that it degrades. If you're not taking care to preserve it, it will get worse. So there's so much cinema history that's sadly just lost to us. Because it's like, well, everybody loved Alistair Sim. Everybody remembers that one. So we're going to take care to preserve that. Although even that hasn't come down to us in terrific shape. Mm-hmm. But this one just didn't hit the zeitgeist in such a way. It wasn't made by a big studio. And people just haven't taken care to preserve it. Yeah. I mean, there's foundations now and people that try and say, hey, let's get, let's raise some money. Let's go. But how much money would they make? <laughs> you know, restoring Seymour Hicks Christmas Carol. I mean, for, for the history of film, for film preservation societies and stuff like that, it's worth something, but they're not going to sell a lot of <laughs> I don't Blu-rays. Think so. No, and, and that's for other reasons too. This version, okay, I liked it. I liked it. I watched it with my wife last night and it's, I was surprised at how well filmed it was. It's, it's interesting. I think it's, I read it said it was in a German expressionist kind of yeah style. heavy heavy on the shadows and in very interesting ways can't a lot of camera movement in scenes and just cool stuff I just didn't expect it to look so good mm-hmm. and interesting and it does it does some weird stuff like it adds the scene of of a feast at like the royal palace or something where you spend uh, you spend a few zany seconds with all the cooks in the basement as they're like for instance when I say zany I mean like Oh, here's the two cooks who are, they're sampling the wine, and then they're sampling the wine again, and then 
here's a big fat cook and look at that jello on the plate. It's wiggling and he's kind of dancing. And you're like, what is, what is happening? <laughs> and then it goes upstairs to this feast and it's this sumptuous banquet. And whoever this guy is, you're not even sure quite who this is, but Count, I don't know. He gives a toast to the queen and everyone raises a gl- their glasses to the queen and starts to sing. And then it cuts to Scrooge in the restaurant and he's mm-hmm. all alone with his crummy meal before he goes to bed that night. It's that kind of thing. 1935, has Hitler attacked by then? I don't know. I'm just, you can watch, there's there's movies from, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm folks. Sure. This is a, not a history podcast. But I, I'm just wondering, there's there's so many British movies from the, the period, that general period, where it's like, why is there this long patriotic scene in here? Oh, it's because everything was geared towards the war effort and towards a sense of national pride and all this kind of stuff. I mean, in order to even get the funding to make your movie, you kind of had to say, hey, we're doing it for the war effort. So, I mean, World War II, World War II didn't technically start till 1939. So. Okay, yeah. I was trying to remember exactly. But if we're gearing up, if we're in that kind of yeah, maybe, nationalistic fervor time. Maybe that explains it. I think part of it you feel like is just the fun people would have had of seeing, getting a little peek mm-hmm. to this lavish world of celebration and then having having it juxtaposed against Scrooge mm-hmm. in his miserly misery. Uh, they, they do something else like that once later in the movie where they show, I think in the same sequence sort of, they show these guys on a ship mm-hmm. who are happy about Christmas. And the ship is like in a storm and the guys are drinking and they're laughing as all this cold water gets splashed on them. Right. And anyway, so stuff like that <laughs> that's not in the book, not in other versions. And Seymour Hicks plays Scrooge not like an ironist, not like kind of knowing, not in a George C. Scott or Alistair Sim kind of way. Mm-hmm. But he plays him like just a mean, closed-off old coot. Kind of enjoys being mean. And is sort of disheveled, like his hair is just every which way when you see him in the counting house and he's talking to Bob Cratchit. Bob Cratchit is just a more oppressed, downtrodden version of Bob Cratchit. He looks gaunt. Like mm-hmm. he looks like he doesn't quite have enough to eat. Just kind of tamped down and miserable. Yeah, you showed, you showed me a clip, and Bob Cratchit, in, it made me realize in every version, Bob Cratchit kind of represents the triumph of the human spirit. That's it right. It did not look so like no, that no, no, in no. this version. No, and I, I actually like that. I thought it was a good, it was a, a, a legit take on Cratchit. <laughs> he's an optimist, he's a Christian, he's a family man, it's very sweet, he's a sweet guy, but he's not, I don't know, <laughs> it's not, he doesn't represent the triumph of the human spirit, exactly. <laughs> not in the same way. He's not well fed. But this version really gives short shrift to the Ghost of Christmas Past. You get only two short scenes. And, oh, by the way, they don't show the ghosts. Oh, that's weird. Well, when I say that, so you see Marley's face in the doorknob. But when Marley comes in, the door opens, you see no one, and and Scrooge says, Jacob Marley! And Marley says, only you can see me, Ebenezer Scrooge. So you don't see him. (laughs) He talks the whole time, things move around, you know, in a special effects kind of way on the floor. That's weird. Yeah. So it, it... it felt like a style decision and not a budgeting decision, hmm. I think. And then goes to Christmas Pass as a bright silhouette who takes Scrooge to see his failed engagement and then to see that his Belle, Isabel, Belle, is happily married. And that's it. That's all the Ghost of Christmas Pass does. Hmm. And uh, Ghost of Christmas Present does the standard things. The Ghost of Christmas Present is, is the normal big fat guy. Pretty fun. And then the Ghost of Christmas Future is the shadow of a hooded figure 
you don't see anything yeah. else. Yeah, I feel like there's other. What is the Probably. other version? There, there's at least one more version where you only ever see the shadow of of Christmas. Yeah, you could you could see future. you could you could see why you would do that. Yeah. So Seymour Hicks is pretty fun as angry crotchety old Scrooge. His transformation happens pretty fast. You don't feel like you know who this guy is entirely. Hmm. The Ghost of Christmas Past actually gives you a lot, is what I realized watching this one. Because it lacked that. Because it lacked that. And because he, when he transforms, he just suddenly is a very, almost cheesily happy. Right. Now he is, he's quite cheesy. Old man. And it's, it's, it's fine. It doesn't, you have some good, you have a good scene with Cratchit. You got a good scene with Fred. But you don't, what you don't have is if, if you turn on like the Scott version or the Sim version Mm -hmm. at those points of redemption and stuff, I mean, it'll just make me cry. Right. I could just watch a YouTube clip and it'll, it'll hit me. Yeah. But this one was like, well, this isn't gonna. I can't see this making anyone tear up. At least I doubt it. What was what was missing? It was just. I mean, one is this one. It, well, there is something besides how how much it cuts out from the book. Maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just that. I don't honestly know. I don't honestly know. You get a couple good scenes. It just feels so fast. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just the speed of the redemption. Maybe it's just that he. He enjoys hamming it up right. in a scene or two. Yeah, that's interesting. I think in this, in both Scott and Sam, what I like is that there is a pre-redemption, post-redemption continuity, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they are the same men and there is a sense of humor to their evil that become, that, that wells up into real laughter yeah. in the later stuff. And then there's a sense of, especially with Scott, there's a sense of authority when he's bad that does not really diminish when he becomes, and I think Sim has other qualities like that too, where it's just like, I get this, I get how these two versions go together. Even with as ridiculous as Sim is standing on his head and stuff and just unleashing a clown that I guess Alistair Sim had within him. He was a, he was a very well-known comedic actor. Right. And he's doing a, a lot of bits yes. at the end of the Sim version. But they don't, they, they do work with, who who Scrooge was before? It's not there. There's there's continuity there. This, I mean, I don't know. Remembering that this guy did it two thousand times in a stage production is helpful, maybe for thinking about his performance and how it would play. I I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure what to say except it didn't quite didn't quite get. The, I, I liked it. You showed me a clip from it. This guy, I guess he's more in the Lionel Barrymore's Mr. Potter mold. If you absolutely. had to put him somewhere, he's like absolutely. He's not gaunt. He's a bigger guy. And right, just kind of more boisterously, authoritatively mean. I just like to be mean. I don't necessarily have a sense of humor about being mean. Right. Maybe. Which I, there are really two types of Scrooge. There's that type, and George C. E. Scott falls into that type. And then there's the the gaunt, cadaverous, Dickensian Scrooge. And that would be, obviously, Alistair Sim and Albert Finney does that version. I think huh. Michael Caine is, is more that version. The kind of man that Dickens actually describes the kind of withered, deathly kind of dude. The kind of man who's only going to eat a little bit of porridge or something like that because he's saving money. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. George C. Scott does not look like he ever saved much money on food in in his version. Hmm, true. So would you recommend that people seek this out or was it just an interesting curiosity? Or I'm a, I think if you really like A Christmas Carol and you're the kind of person who watches it every year, this takes an hour and 15 minutes of your time, and it's interesting. I'm not, I, I don't know if it's worth it. Is it worth an hour and 15 minutes? I liked, I liked watching it. 
I'm happy that I saw it. It gave me some good bits. Mm-hmm. So I, for, for the connoisseur. For the connoisseur, but not for the... Not for the casual Christmas nah, carol. Nah, nah, not quite, not quite worth it. I mean, man, it would, if, if the print were nice, it'd be easier to say, yeah, just go watch it. Yeah, maybe Aquino or Criterion or somebody will yeah. just pony up the cash for a restoration. Although if the elements don't exist, then the elements don't exist. But there's a lot you can do sure. digitally now. Mm. Well, let's move forward in time. I guess we should maybe land our time machine in 1951 for a minute and say what we want to say about the Alistair Sim. We'll come back and, and watch that one completely on this podcast Oh yeah, at some point. It's the one I was going to watch. Yeah. Uh, but I pivoted to Mickey in part because there was some love shown to it in our Discord as we were discussing it. Yeah, people like Mickey, which again, I'll save my thoughts for the Mickey when our time machine makes it to 1983. 1951. 1951. Alistair Sim. I mean, he is... He's the definitive, you know, if you're our age, he's the definitive version for your dad, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's the reason why that's the one Ben grew up with. And it's the reason why that's the one that I grew up with my dad saying was his favorite while we still watch George C. Scott a lot more (laughs) because George C. Scott, I think, is just better. It is Sim Sim v. Scott, Dawn of Justice, though. Those are the two. Yeah, those are the two, right? And so, you know, my dad would say... Sim was his favorite, and we would watch it from time to time. But if we were going to put just one on, it was going to be Scott. That's the one that I watched growing up. That's the one that when you say Scrooge, it's Scott that pops in my head. When you, you know, go through the ghosts, it's the ghost. You know, those mm-hmm. are the ghosts that pop in my head. That's the Cratchit that pops in my head. You know, so it's Scott. But then there's Sim, and there's still a lot that's delightful about that Sim version, and especially I really love the the clown turn at the end. The yeah. standing on his head and then the terrifying the maid, terrifying, terrifying the housekeeper. And then he could drive awesome. away to make his hair stick up. It's amazing. Real, you know, he, yeah. he says, I've, I'm not, he, he's going to like convince her that he's sincere. I'm not crazy. And then he makes the joke, even though I may look it and flips his hair out. <laughs> and she screams <laughs> and again. She screams and again. <laughs> it's awesome. And then, and then he grabs her again. And you know, I've not lost my senses. I've come to them. But just the fact that he inserted that joke in the middle <laughs> of it, I've always thought <laughs> was such a fun, fresh. Right. And it still hits as fun and fresh because, you know, it's just like, who thinks to do something like that? And <laughs> in a way that still feels like the same person. Like, I think there's just like, yeah, some some acting comedic genius yeah. there that Scott doesn't quite deliver on right. in his turn. Although I, I agree with you, he carries his authority and dignity in a way that few others could. I mean, he it is the best for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Even though he doesn't even... <laughs> He doesn't even try to not be George C. Scott. That's part of the charm of it. Yeah, no, so. I, yeah, it, it just doesn't matter. George C. Scott's just awesome and so much fun to watch. But we'll talk about that one. I think for me, the Sim version has the problem of I didn't grow up with it. I came to it later in life. And so it feels to me a little bit, minus the redemption scene, which is wonderful and really stands out, maybe the best redemption scene of any Scrooge. But it has a little bit of a feeling of when I've gone back and tried to watch like the Laurence Olivier Hamlet. And it's just kind of like, oh, this is Hamlet. I'm used, I'm used to watching Hamlet plus something. I'm used to watching, oh, this one's interesting because it's Mel Gibson, or this one's interesting because it's Kenneth Branagh doing a super production, or this one's interesting because it's set in Nazi time. You know, it's always, there's always a, a little bit of splash of something. But Sim, it's like, you're just watching A Christmas Carol. It is definitive for a reason, but that also for someone who doesn't have any nostalgia for it, maybe robs it of a little bit of interest i guess like i was i found myself really perking up when 
it added some random stuff like his business dealings with his best friend who kind of becomes a Scrooge before he does or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it does, it does have some extra stuff and maybe some extra bits of dialogue. Yeah. Just because Sim wanted it, I guess. What do they do? Like he teams up with his friend to drive their mentor out of business or something yeah, basically, like that. Yeah, basically. He teams up with Marley. To yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. I guess that would make sense. So I, I'm not knocking the Sim version. I think it's great. I, th- I understand why people love it and I love it too. They, they betray Fezziwig together to do their own thing right yeah under the leadership of this other mentor and then kind he and marley Scrooge. end up doing the same backstabbing thing to that guy yeah yeah he's and like that's just the darth of the, pelagius of right? the scrooge verse yeah so I, I like that version i mean none of the ghosts really popped for me when i watched it like they're just the ghosts whatever like as a as a kid i was oh i'm sure i was very creeped out by so marley appears and that's that's creepy but then he shows he shows Scrooge a vision of all these ghostly poor people, like yeah, dying and toiling away, and it just is really unnerving. Right. Well, you've got the ghosts out the window who are just like That's it. tormenting or trying to torment the living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, that was terrifying. That 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 Marley's pretty great altogether. His shrieks are it's yeah, yeah it's I, otherworldly. It, it really got me as a kid. I'm remembering like, now. I like that Marley. I guess when I was thinking of the other ghosts, I'm, I'm not crazy about any of the the three the ghost of christmas past is kind of a old man who's you know, the rest of christmas past is really hard i mean no you, you either go androgynous or you go girl or you go child Th- those are your choices yeah and old man yeah. <laughs> that's what they did <laughs> but they did like you know fairy old man yeah yeah, it's yeah not, it was or you, you you try and i mean yeah. actually i like the muppets having it just be a this kind doll. of fey <laughs> muppet fairy kind of thing yeah Actually works pretty well. Yeah. But. Yeah. I, I would say that the Ghost of Christmas Future in this one is pretty creepy too. I don't remember. Just just, just, just a classic hooded figure. Mm-hmm. Just very like, you never see the face, but he's always standing there like death, you know. Yeah. Which is the it's idea, of course. Right. Yeah. But it's, it just has a classic feeling. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's nice. so, so much of this is what you grew up with. I mean, I was terrified of the Scott version. And the Scott version is really dark, uh, just in the way it's photographed and. There's a, like a hearse that drives by as he's walking home and just the the kind of gothic splendor of it all really got to me. So I think I was just kind of scrooged out by the time I, in my late 20s, I watched the Sim version. But I, I don't want to rob anyone's enjoyment of it. I think it's fantastic. If that's the one that you love, I have no beef with that. I just hit it wrong, I guess, or, or, mm-hmm. or something like that. I'd like to go back to it. I'm sure we'll just do it yeah, one that, day for this podcast. That'd be fun. Anything else to say about the Sim version before we take our time machine forward? Mm-mm. His restoration, his his redemption is amazing. That is just worth saying again for the 40th time. So we'll take our time machine to 1983 where old Mickey is doing his thing. Yeah, 25-minute version of A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. It's just the story. It. I grew up with that with... Sim and Scott. Yeah. And so, and my version of that was like this, like taped off of TV Mickey Christmas special thing that we pulled out every year that had all the like accumulated Disney shorts of the time. So the, the short of Mickey and Pluto going, getting the Christmas tree with Chip and Dale. Yes. And a classic Goofy's ski trip adventure thing that he, you know, and a couple other things like that. So it was just all sort of like you'd throw that all in and together it was maybe an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. So 
there's not much to say about it. It's just, you know, the the Mickey characters, but it's warm and fun and sweet. And let it, me go ahead and throw out the Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. They what they say is, boy, we're both really disappointed because we love classic Disney cartoons and classic Disney cartoons were fun and funny and this just is kind of doing a Christmas carol. Like there's not enough of a a take. There's like why didn't they Disney it up a little bit more? Like we're we're just watching a twenty five like who wants to watch these characters just do a twenty five minute version of the Christmas carol? Let's get some and the answer juice is, in this story. And the answer is kids, not adults who have nostalgia for acerbic Disney wit. Right. Kids who really love Christmas and the warm glow of it all and get a kick out of seeing Mickey and Donald and and Goofy and Goofy as Marley. You know, they they it, mm-hmm. they do have actually their own take on the the individual little bit pieces. And Scrooge mm-hmm. McDuck is a pretty fun pretty fun Scrooge, I sure. think. It, they don't riff a lot, but Daisy Duck is a is a really compelling heartbroken bell and when you hit the past that's all you hit when you hit the present you know oh the poor sweet Mickey Mouse family with Minnie there and a really sweet you know tiny Tim mm-hmm. and up now he's dead and now Ebenezer it's Ebenezer Scrooge's grave and Pete unhoods himself as he reveals it's Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge's grave and throws him into the pit of hell. What, what does <laughs> he say? Why yours, Ebenezer? The richest man in the cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he starts laughing. He, you know, he, he lights a cigar, a cigar on the tombstone to light up, or he lights his match on the tombstone to light up the fact that Scrooge's name is on it. And he pops back his hood, lights his cigar. Why yours, Ebenezer? The richest man in the cemetery. And then he throws him in. Pats, smacks him in and just starts la- cackling. <laughs> Scrooge is dangling over his own coffin, mm-hmm. which opens up as it starts smoking and the flames start coming out and he falls into it mm-hmm. to wake up tossing in on the floor under the... It's pretty good. His covers. This is pretty great. Yeah. That um, I remember. It's been a long time since I've seen that one, but I sure, sure remember that. And then there's some, you know, some other... So I, I, I think the beginning... Scrooge, you know, doing some fun tricks like you know the guy, the Sherlock Holmes and a type character, or whatever, and shows up to to beg for the poor, and he does a little bit of, oh, you know, if I give money to the poor, they won't be poor anymore, and then you two would be out of a job. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me to put you two out of a job on Christmas. You know, this <laughs> kind of fun sort of. Stuff like that, which is their take on Scrooge. But it is simple, straightforward. And then you get like, you know, he goes and buys toys. And right. They have the whole laundry thing. And mm-hmm. I just think it's it's pretty fun. It's pretty sweet. And it's short. And it's 25 minutes. And part of what's great about it is it's just straightforward. It's just sincere. It's just the beats. It's characters you know and love. And you can you can drop it on at any point in time in Christmas, in the Christmas season for your kids and get that sort of like warm glow of that the story sure without it being belabored without it being too long you can take your shot as an adult of the of christmas carol and give it to your kids and it is what it is and it's done i don't disagree with any of that i mean i think mickey cartoons are always weird for me because it's like i didn't grow up with the prime text like i only ever had the derivations for kids there are very few things that you want to put on for them that is that they'll actually sit right with 
Including including Muppets. Right. Until a kid reaches a certain... Like, the Muppets are just too sarcastic. Mm-hmm. They're too sideways. Until a kid reaches a certain age and actually has enough of the sentimentality of Christmas in their bones to sort of, like, laugh along with the sideways characters of the Muppets and be there for it. Like, kids just... My experience is... Uh, my kids don't actually care about the Muppets until they hit, you know, 10 or so. That'll be fair. I don't think your kids were probably brainwashed by Sesame Street at an early age, were they? No. no. I think my experience of Muppets, I've noticed the same thing about most kids, but that wasn't, I don't think my family's experience. And I think it was because we were a Sesame Street fan. Like the Muppets were just a constant and we all had our favorite Muppets and they were just like, huh. it was just one of those things. Yeah, but they also weren't brainwashed by by Mickey Mouse cartoons or by any other. That's true. Any other thing. Hmm. I think that, you know, Mickey has its own, you know, intrinsic sort of appeal in its short little burst or shot. The Grinch, the original short little Grinch movies, same kind of way. Charlie Brown Christmas tree movie can do that sort of, uh, sort of thing for kids. But outside of that, you know, then I don't have much patience to sit and watch It's a Wonderful Life or to watch George C. Scott or to watch Alistair Sim or to watch a Muppets mm-hmm. Christmas Carol or a Christmas story. It's just like none of those for anybody. There are precious few things that give you that sort of like if your kid is anywhere between like three and 10, like, and you want to watch something with them. Yeah. Like that give you anything like that. And this is one of those things which makes it, I think, kind of awesome. Yeah. I agree with that. I guess what I was trying to say about Mickey earlier is it's like everybody's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just based on it's based on all those old serials we used to watch. It's like nobody's seen the we, we, I, none of us know what those old serials were actually right. like. Maybe we've watched one or two if were me. But most people have never seen those. Most people have never seen a Buck Rogers thing. They just know Star Wars. And Mickey's kind of the same. We know Sorcerer's Apprentice probably and we know Mickey's Christmas Carol and a handful of other things, but I did not grow up largely watching Mickey cartoons. Like Looney Tunes was always in circulation. It yeah, was that's on right. TV. Yeah, that's right. Disney, I think, in a bad strategic move, put all their stuff in the vault and said, you got to pay for it. And it's like, we're not just going to have it out there on primetime TV in a way that. I don't know. It was doesn't seem like a strategic blender these days because. I mean, it all worked out, and Mickey's just as iconic and, as he's ever been. And my kids don't know the first thing about Looney Tunes. Yeah, I mean, Looney Tunes did not <laughs> adapt to the streaming wars. Like, they, they should have gotten themselves on Netflix early or something. I don't know what they should have done. But, yeah. but yeah, Looney Tunes has been left behind, and their forays into breaking into modern pop culture have been stupid things like the... Space Jam, Space Jam the new too. Space Jam. Yeah, the old Space Jam did a pretty good job of getting some 90s kids into Looney Tunes, I guess. But Well, we're playing on, it actually was a nice little convergence of the nostalgia that you had because you still had them for Saturday morning cartoons, but now you got them with Michael Jordan. Right. But Disney cartoons, it's just like how many of us, uh, now that Disney Plus exists, probably more people have watched those Disney cartoons. I grew up watching a few Disney cartoons that I knew pretty well. Yeah. We must have had them on video. I would say the same thing. Disney's just done a good job of, too, of updating things. So kids like Mickey and Friends is a show. Right. And kids grow up with that sort of thing. Yeah. Looney Tunes has tried the same thing. I don't know how successful it's been. But yeah, like we had the Chippendale Christmas tree one. I think it was on a video cassette that we'd recorded off of TV. I don't know what the main attraction was or whether it was just a collection of cartoons. A handful, there's a handful of them that I could probably think of that 
we grew up with one way or another. One of the annoying things to me is that Disney every 10 years repackages some of that stuff, and then it's hard to go back and reconstruct or find. Mm -hmm. So like if you try to find Christmas Carol, Mickey's Christmas Carol on Disney+, Plus. You're going to find these like Mickey's Christmas specials and you're going to be like, oh man, is it going to, do I need to surf through it? And it's like, oh no, well, they did pull it out finally. Right. And so you can go and just watch the 25 minute, but it used to be, you'd have to like, you know, surf through these like, you know, oh no, another 10 years is lapsed. So we need to update all this sort of like Christmas thing mm -hmm. that they were doing for TV back in the day. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's also true that Disney probably made the worst shorts in my book. I mean, they're some of the most beautiful shorts. Just the animation's wonderful, but the Looney Tunes always felt so hip and so modern. Yeah. And Disney was mm -hmm. relatively not. I mean, I like Fleischer <laughs> animation. We've talked about it before. I think the really creepy, like Betty Boop. Betty Boop, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. There's there's yeah. stuff that's so so modern and absurd and fun for adults too. And then Disney's just like not Disney's. Disney, early Disney feels a little bit more avant-garde, but then once he sort of ascended, yeah, the, the edges get rounded off and it just becomes cute singing animals and everything that people like to accuse Disney of being. I mean, it was never actually as bad as all that, but I don't know. Ben, you have any thoughts on Mickey's Christmas Carol? I don't remember it well enough, honestly. Yeah, I remember no Scrooge thoughts. falling into hell. Scrooge falls into hell. I'd say about one out of every 10 Christmas Carol adaptations, he's going to go to hell. He does in Finney's. Musical version, Marley's like dancing through hell after him, which is pretty great actually because it's Alec Guinness. He does in the stupid Jim Carrey version. Oh, I'm remembering of course, now. Of course, Zimicus... the camera like zooms down the grave. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. Ooh, 3D glasses. Put on your glasses, kids. I uh, think for me as a kid, the emotion, I think the Disney version did such a good job of capturing the emotion of each of the moments of past, present, and future. I thought that the I thought the Disney version was the scariest and the saddest hmm. as a kid. And I don't know. I think I think if you haven't watched it or haven't watched it since you were a kid, it's worth just 25 minutes to be like, you know, I don't know. Mm. I, 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 I understand where the Siskel and Ebert, you know, criticism comes from. But in terms of a timepiece and in terms of something that I think has staying power, I think it it holds up pretty right. pretty well. Well, and your expectations for it are not the same as Siskel and Ebert's expectations, and that matters. Yeah. Well, I didn't have any. I was Right, exactly. Three. Your expect you it is what it is. It's just I always had it. Like right. it came out in eighty three and I was born in eighty four. It was right. always there. Yeah. So you're not like, gee, mm -hmm. why didn't Disney make this completely differently? Mm -hmm. And in some ways they're just criticizing the movie that they I mean, Disney I think the V C R, you know, the tape, the cassette tape actually had Jake's first Christmas written on it. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, that doesn't shock me. Mistaken. I guess that movie came out a year before you were born. The George C. Scott version is exactly as old as you, 1984, if I'm not mistaken. And I suppose we should talk about that. And I don't think this is just nostalgia, because I've watched it again through adult eyes as a cinemaphile. This version is so well done. All the actors are superb. It is just simply the best. You can't really say it's definitive. It's like Sean Connery planted the flag to be James Bond first. So it just doesn't matter how much you like Daniel Craig or anybody else. It's Sean Connery. He's the best James Bond. It's kind of the same thing. It's like Alistair Sim. He looks like Scrooge. George C. Scott does not look like Scrooge. And that's, that's kind of that. But George C. Scott is far and away the best actor to ever. You think so? Better than Sim? Oh, easy. Easy. I mean, I love Sim. 
But George, just in terms of firepower, in terms of the ammunition that we're bringing, George C. Scott is just like one of the best dudes of his generation. He he belongs in the conversation with Brando, with whoever you want to put in the conversation. I mean, George C. Scott is just magnificent. I think we're planning on talking about Dr. Strange Love next year. That'll be a fun George C. Scott thing to talk about. Yeah, I love George C. Scott. And I think everyone should love George C. Scott. And I think everyone should love George C. Scott's a Christmas Carol. I mean, it's one of those things that did get grandfathered in. Even like it is just a horror movie with a dark house where you're waiting for a ghost to come. And in any other context, I never would have been able to allowed to watch this, but I was allowed to watch it as a five year old or something, and it was terrifying. And the cast is just stacked. David Warner, who plays Cratchit, is great. Roger Rees as Fred is awesome. Mrs. Cratchit. Is it's definitely it's far and away the as best. Tight as a drum, Mrs. Fred, whatever her name is, she's great. Kind of plays a fun kind of bimbo character. As tight as yeah, Uncle Scrooge's purse strings. I mean, the way that it's photographed, it's shot like in this old town. I forget where you know Wilmington Boylesburg or something like that. It's one of those quaint old British burgs that they shot in at a snowy time of year, and it's just a beautiful movie to look at the soundtrack is beautiful full of these old carols and hymns and george c scott is just magnificently evil as scrooge he does a good job of being really thoroughly nasty but also getting a big kick out of his own nastiness he is chuckling with glee as he tells fred that everyone who celebrates christmas should be i always get it wrong what is it boiled with in his own pudding pudding and buried with a stick of of ho- with a hawk of holly in with a hawk of holly in his heart right. through his heart to his heart yeah <laughs> he's able to laugh at that like a like truly he's laughing as he yeah. yeah he laughs as he says that but the laughter doesn't reach his eyes like he is a truly nasty person you know in a really entertaining way scrooge is the most entertaining evil scrooge in george c scott it's like watching jack nicholson or something you like to watch somebody this powerful just destroy everybody and tiny tim is actually kind of not cherubic in this version he's i mean he's obnoxious like he always is tiny tim's a hard character to do correctly Mm -hmm. dickens doesn't dickens sucks dickens version of tiny tim is the worst because dickens is like and so heaven had gained another angel as it's like shut up dude but the george scott version always makes me cry with the little speech that can be so corn pone when done wrong but tim told me today that he he wants to sit in such a way that people at church can see him and be reminded who makes the beggars walk and makes the blind to see or whatever who makes the beggars walk. Who makes I, the yeah, lame to walk. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, who makes <laughs> beggars walk. <laughs> they like they actually make it feel like oh that's you know kids actually do come out with sweet things like that every once in a while. It's not just maudlin mm-hmm. like their naive understanding of the world can lead to really sweet insights. So I think it's oh and I forgot. The best thing about that version is the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. Absolutely slaps. He is so mean to Scrooge and he's got such innate authority and he's not just this big goofball. He's like in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, they meet Father Christmas and C.S. Lewis, I think, if I remember correctly, has one of his little asides to the reader where he's like, now it wasn't the stupid fat Santa Claus type guy that you think of it was like this stern dude from fairyland who had a sort of 
happy, jolly quality, but in a very serious kind of a way. This guy captures that, that kind of Merlin quality or that the Gandalf quality or that old school Father Christmas kind of quality. And so some of the put downs he delivers to Scrooge, the whole, hey, buddy, let's think about where the surplus population actually is. Speech is devastating coming from him. And he's got this big grin on his face as he delivers it to Scrooge. So I think that version is perfect. I mean, I was just watching it yesterday and like the the blocking is perfect. Just the way it's filmed. I don't know. Is there anything I haven't said that deserves to be said about? It's not actually one I'd want to do a whole episode on maybe because all I do is say, that was great. That was great. That was great. That was great. It may be the best ghost of Christmas past, but it still doesn't quite land. That's, I think, a weak spot if there is a weak spot. Christmas past? Or, or oh, sorry, Christmas past. past. Yeah, yeah, You're sorry. saying Christmas past, the whole se- sequence doesn't quite land? No, no, the sequence is fine. You get all the, you know, schoolhouse stuff and all that. Yeah, you know, I thought that stuff was great. The, the, the ghost really herself. Plays into, but the ghost herself. I can't remember still, her. It's, a, it's just this like 80s fairy woman with her 80s hair. Oh, yeah. yeah she she right, looks like yeah, she belongs yeah, yeah, as yeah, an yeah. alien on Star Trek or something like right. that. Stepped out of a David Bowie film. Yeah. You yeah. know, like it's just not quite. No, like, she's she's not great. I mean, she's the actress does what she can. It's just really hard to conceptualize that character in a way that that's good. Yeah. I, I don't think any any adaptation really like makes that character work and this is one of the better ones maybe the best one of that too it's just like well i don't know what the answer is i just don't know i just know that nobody's ever really found it i think somebody like dakota fanning in her prime could do it you want unless you want to say that jiminy cricket well did it of course you you want a child that feels like an adult you kind of want one of those characters You, you you want you want like a little girl who can play as a 50-year-old in a little girl's body. Kirsten Dunst from Interview with the Vampire would have been just fine. That that kind of energy of where, where, where a kid is so poised and so full of some kind of wisdom in their eyes that you just feel like they're a little older. But those kind of talents are once in a generation and probably too busy acting for Spe- Steven Spielberg to come be in your Scrooge adaptation. So you'd have to get really lucky to stumble on one. But I would agree. I don't think we've ever seen a perfect ghost of christmas past marley's pretty good and the ghost of christmas present is pretty good though yep yeah it's great it's awesome watch it if you haven't seen it then turn off this podcast and go watch the george c scott version that's my advice it's fantastic i don't think it can be overpraised if you don't like it you are wrong and it is right have we already said everything we want to say about the muppets i think so probably so michael kane delivers a heck of a performance yep those Muppets sure are funny. And does that take us all the way to 2022? We want to stop anywhere else? Well, I mean, that's our childhood, so that's where we stop. And that's, there that's can we... never be anything. Yeah. You know, the next generation, the next generation of this podcast will have to tell us that we're all wrong and Scott doesn't hold up the way that we think Sim doesn't hold up. And right. there's some version that we won't even bother watching and if we do we won't have any love for right it's actually the the taylor lautner no he's old now uh who's like a star of today it's actually the Tim- timothy chalamet, chalamet oh, version spare me. it's actually denny villeneuve's christmas carol no well i guess we can talk about spirited the will ferrell ryan reynolds yeah, yeah. i'm now kind of i'm now kind of interested i have to say i don't like ryan reynolds i want to go on record like i i've never liked ryan reynolds never been able to enjoy him well I, I doubt that's much of a hot take for our audience i bet a lot of people don't like 
Ryan Reynolds that listen to us. And I bet a lot of people in the world don't like Ryan Reynolds because he's overexposed and kind of he's in that Chris Pratt territory of like, all right, dude, I understand you're trying to sell me your brand and I'm just sick of it. And he's crude and cynical. And I, I do just think his writers are a little bit better. I think that's all it is. Like his jokes are just a little bit better usually than the standard kind of, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this movie. I don't know that I've ever wanted to watch a Ryan Reynolds movie and that I've ever actually seen one. I've had the misfortune of seeing the one where he's like a really, you know, he's a fat kid in high school and he loves the girl, but Mm -hmm. then he meets her later when he's not fat. Right. It was just a really gross and unpleasant and mean movie. Yeah, he is mean. What is that? So mean. Is that Van Wilder? Is that what that is? No, No. I, I don't think so. I don't remember the title. It was friends were watching it and I was there and so I watched it. But boy, what a mean movie. Yeah, so I remember not a great movie and not one that I'd return to now, but I remember him being a bright spot of a really bad movie, which was Blade 3. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, was, I had the misfortune of seeing that as well. That movie's terrible. It, it is a boring piece it's of It's boring, garbage. the action's bad, it's crude, it's stupid. Yeah. But Ryan Reynolds is kind of funny. Yeah, he was kind of funny. So I remember kind of liking him in that. And then... He kind of had his career downturn. He did Green Lantern, which was weirdly terrible. and Never saw it. Other things. You know, the only reason to watch that one is because it's Martin Campbell who did Goldeneye and Mask of Zorro. But Martin Campbell is not to be counted on. No, he's not. He's proven that. No. But you got Vertical Limit. Vertical Limit, Legend of Zorro, which is terrible. (sighs) I've never even made it through that whole movie. It's so bad. He's done a lot of really bad stuff. But then when he connects, he sure does connect. Although his stuff doesn't last. No, no. It's like Teflon. It's Yeah, but it's good entertainment. Yeah, um, sure. Anyway, this is not a Martin Campbell podcast. <laughs> so this spirited movie, uh, I'm trying to think whether I would recommend it. It's f- fun, I guess. It actually reminded me a little bit of a movie called 8-Bit Christmas. I don't remember whether we talked about this on mic. I think we must have. Or not. At least a little. But this was a movie that, Jake watched last year or two years ago, whenever it came last out. Whenever it came out. And it's a movie that you don't really, in my experience of it, I think I liked it the least of the three of us. My experience of, of it was, I don't really like this movie while I'm watching it, but then there's a nice payoff built into it that retroactively makes sense of some of the stuff that you don't really like. It has to do, I mean, I think I can say without spoiling anything, the dad characters and the relationship between the kid and the dad is kind of sour through the movie and it turns out that they're setting you up for something sweet but that doesn't mean that you don't have to sit through a lot of sour without any real indication that there's going to be yeah anything sweet so it's nice when the sweet thing happens but it's not like scrooge where you're like sweet i'm settling in i'm buckling my seatbelt, i'm getting ready for a story of redemption in this case you're just kind of like watching a what feels like a cynical comedy and then it ends up not being such a cynical comedy but but you guys like that movie better than I did, so maybe maybe you want to say a word or two in its defense, one of you, I don't know. It definitely had that the sourness and the meanness. I, I think that we I look back I think that we look back on <clears throat> any number of movies like that and because they're a part of our childhood or whatever, we just glaze like I think Christmas stories that way. I think I don't know. I think you could say that about any number of <clears throat> the, the the sourness or the the disrespect towards adults, that kind of stuff you mean. Yeah, the edge, this here, there. I thought that movie was was fun and had a sweet payoff. I enjoyed it. It, it definitely had a sweet payoff. Yeah. I, I'm going to quibble a little bit about the fun. 
But I don't know, maybe I was in a bad mood or maybe it didn't connect with my wife or there may have been any number of external factors that made it less enjoyable for me that had nothing to do with the movie. I don't really remember. Anyway, I only bring that up to talk about Spirited, which I didn't love watching, but I kind of enjoy it in retrospect. I don't know that I really recommend that anyone go out of their way. It's definitely got some crude stuff, but I'll say one positive thing. The score is great. It actually has a number of really fun musical numbers, and I'm always on the hunt for a new musical movie. I love musicals in general, and they just don't make enough good ones anymore in our current Hollywood environment. And this is, I forget their names, but it's the guys that wrote the score for La La Land, the songs for La La Land, music and lyrics. They did not write the music and lyrics for the Hugh Grant movie, Music and Lyrics. That's not what I was saying. If you were just confused, they wrote the music and lyrics for La La Land for The Greatest Showman, which is a terrible piece of schlock that I couldn't even get past five minutes, but I like the score for it and a few other things. So they're just like good pop tunesmiths. And uh, I mean, whatever you want to say about La La Land, I think we can all admit that the score is wonderful for that thing. Mm. Elevates a movie that you might quibble with otherwise. In any case, they wrote the music for this and I thought the music's really good. There's maybe one too many ballads and one too few happy songs bouncy songs but i'm more of like a fun all the crowd is dancing kind of but there's enough of that so there's some really fun musical numbers with well choreographed dancing and singing and everybody's all the townsfolk are jumping and all the guys are lifting the girls over their heads and that kind of stuff which i'm just a sucker for so i really enjoyed that part of it the thing that really didn't work about the movie was the comedy and i think that Any one of us in this room could make the comedy better simply by editing it. Like it's a really interesting movie to watch because you'll watch a screenplay that's not great, but probably workmanlike. And just again and again and again, you'll watch things not really connect because they're just not edited with any rhythm or timing. I mean, it's it's the most I think I've ever felt like this in a movie. I'm just like, this movie should be at least grabbing some low-hanging fruit laughs like okay me and meredith aren't gonna bust a gut at this but we should be chuckling every 10 minutes like it's it's clever enough whatever but it keeps missing it and it's because it just doesn't do those obvious you you, you know like someone says something awkward what do you do nathan says something awkward you cut to ben you linger on him for two seconds and he has kind of a disgusted look on his face and that gives the audience time to register. Nathan said something awkward. The funny part isn't that Nathan said something awkward. The funny part is that we cut to Ben and Ben's like, oh, that's just comedy editing 101, that sort of thing. And again, and again, and again, the movie does not do that. So if you want to watch an interesting exercise in some hack not knowing how to edit comedy, <laughs> then <laughs> this movie's great. This movie's great. The thing that kind of made it interesting, similar to 8-Brit Christmas, was the payoff and the thing that they're building to i'll just go ahead and spoil it because nobody really needs to waste their time unless it sounds like something that they'd already enjoy but what they wanted to do is say you can't just be redeemed in a day it's always putting your best foot forward getting up every day making a choice to be good again that sort of thing and the way they did it was kind of sweet you know ryan reynolds is the the scrooge character that's supposed to be redeemed any kind of sort of keeps pushing back. That's real meta. He knows he's in a Scrooge story 
And he's just like, no, okay, this is the part where you're scaring me. You know, there's a lot of places where characters say, oh, this is the part where. And so Ryan Reynolds is kind of against it, but he's also, you know, against his own better judgment, becoming a slightly nicer person. And at the end, he's become a slightly nicer person and he needs to keep doing the next right thing. And there's a whole song about you don't just change in a day. You got to do the next right thing. And that could be really cynical in its own way. It could be kind of an anti-Christmas carol, like a, (laughs) yeah, right. Like Scrooge wouldn't have been able to change that fast, but it doesn't come across that way. It comes across as genuinely kind of sweet and interesting, like sort of post-meta Christmas fable. So the conceit is that Will Ferrell was Scrooge. He was redeemed, just like we know in the story, but he died three weeks later. And so we, he, he never really got the chance to see how long-lasting his redemption is. And Ryan Reynolds, as the villainous new Scrooge, is, it finds out his backstory and is always kind of pushing back and saying, well, you don't know what would have happened if you'd lived four weeks. Like, you don't know whether you were really redeemed i thought that was kind of a fun thing for the movie to play with i mean i could imagine maybe as i'm describing it it sounds super lame and super anti-christmas carol but it didn't come across that way it was kind of an interesting examination of redemption and that sort of thing i don't know not a new christmas classic like 70 percent on rotten tomatoes and i was i just thought you know maybe i'll have a dark horse for this episode it's not a dark horse for this episode i wish it was but it's kind of a genial time waster with some good songs and some comedy that interestingly doesn't work at all because of how poorly it's edited. It's by the guy that did Instant Family, a movie that me and Meredith like. Not a great movie, but just a fun. It's by the guy that did Daddy's Home. He does like a bunch of these modern comedy things and he has no sense of comedy he's really bad at it i'm sorry i I went deep sea diving to try and find a christmas treasure for you and i came up with a handful of rusty coins but i tried and i wanted to tell you the boring story (laughs) so what christmas carol should people watch tonight elf don't get me started well you like will ferrell you said and if you're going to watch elf no i can't you should watch Elf. Elf is much a much better movie than the one I watched. I really wanted to discover a Will Ferrell Christmas movie that could be my anti-establishment, re, the real Will Ferrell Christmas movie versus the s- cynical, crummy Elf. But Elf is charming and wonderful, and everybody loves it for a reason. And I didn't love it. Humbug. Humbug. <laughs> yeah, I think it's humbug too. I thought it was crummy. Where Will Ferrell just doesn't play sincerity well enough to play Buddy the Elf. I just don't like his Buddy the Elf. You swap out the actor, and I think it's a classic. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's one. Yeah, I, I know. I know it's one. I know. But Christmas Story won for a long time, too, and you don't, you don't have to be happy. You don't have to like it, kid. No, uh, and I don't. <laughs> and I don't like Elf. Uh, and that's fine. I didn't like it either, but I didn't like it. I don't like Will Ferrell. I've never liked Will Ferrell. And I didn't like that movie. The thing that's kind of won me over, and part of why it's won me over is because it's like, you know, it's got enough bits in it. It's got enough things that, you know, endure. Like, it's really smart. And it won for a reason, and I might as well just give in. And my, you know, my kids would all list it as one of their favorite. And they love to, you know, it's probably one of the most quoted Christmas movies in our 
home. And it's just, that's just the way it's yeah. going to be. And, Until they see a Christmas story. <laughs> and then all over. They've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Do they like it? No, they don't care. It's a mean, <laughs> grumpy movie about a time that they don't connect to. Uh, ah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I like <laughs> mean, grumpy movies about times I don't connect to. That's like my favorite genre. That movie has a scene that makes me cry. It's Which one's that? <laughs> it's when he's beating the tar out of the bully. Yeah, me too. <laughs> His mom comes and gets him. Uh, <laughs> and then she covers up for him with dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. But, I've, but I've always thought dad knew. Dad knew. What a, what a wonderful. <laughs> it's got the lamp it's got fragile it's got oh fudge it's got santa kicking him down the... yeah i love it i like christmas story too maybe we'll have to do that one time some some year just so we can get it all out of our system have jake be mr grinch and i wonder if a lot of our listeners wouldn't be in in the grinch's corner on that one though because yeah, i maybe. think it's one of those things that's been so oversaturated that people have kind of rebelled against the the cultural conformity that forces us to all love a christmas story and even i am annoyed like now you go to the store and you see like action figures and plates and decorative Christmas. Why, did, why didn't either of you guys watch the remake or the sequel the sequel i thought about it i thought it sounded in, terrible. in retrospect maybe that would have been a better choice than my will ferrell opus but it did look terrible the reviews were actually better than the trailer the trailer was like zany slapstick i hate zany slapstick <laughs> if it's not done by people from hundreds of years or you know 50 years ago i don't know i don't know i probably should have done it hey this world Ferrell movie had some great songs 50 years so. ago that 70s and 80s yeah <laughs> it's not done by home alone no i don't know i mean if it's not done by the three stooges or something like that scrooge christmas movies let's watch it's a wonderful life tonight folks or watch i mean the actual holiday perennials in my family are holiday inn and white christmas we love those yep and those are those are, my, those are my favorites just when I don't. Well, they do, they're not as demanding as either Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life in, emotionally or in terms of investment. It's just at this point in my life, now that I'm basically George Bailey's age and I have my own hopes and dreams and ambitions and all that stuff and my own bitternesses, It's a Wonderful Life is way too devastating to want to watch every year. I don't actually want to watch it every Christmas season anymore. It's just yeah. like it's one of those movies. The last time we watched it, the last time we wa- we we watched it was for this podcast. And me and my wife sat there and I think we both cried through the entire thing. <laughs> like there was, oh, no. there, I don't know that there was a wow. scene yep. where we didn't cry. Oh, George is moving the family. Ah! I mean, it was, it was like, name anything. Like that whole movie is just it's brutal, devastating. A little, little <laughs> bit happy at the end. <laughs> He's still going to jail probably. I don't know. You can go listen to our It's a Wonderful Life podcast. I think watch White Christmas if you like corny old stuff, which I do. Any more Christmas thoughts, Ben? White Christmas will make you cry too, but it's just the general. Yeah, it's just the, it's happy. Like, yeah, it's yay, just like they saved the general. It's sentimental. <laughs> he was a good general. <laughs> we all loved him. All right. World War II. We feel emotions about it. The greatest generation. <laughs> Your grandpa. Yay. Hmm. Christmas thoughts, Ben? No. Which Christmas movie do you think our listeners should watch tonight? Oh, they should watch one of the Christmas carols. Probably Scott, maybe Sim. Scott or Sim, flip a coin. Yeah. 
You throw on Mickey while you're making dinner for the kids. That's what I say. Yeah, Mickey is, you've had to do all the legwork on Mickey because me and Ben just simply didn't grow up with it. I liked it. I saw it as a kid and I liked it. And I think you'd like it again. I think if you put it on for Theo now, you'd be like, oh, this is actually just kind of in the sweet spot of warm and sweet and fun. And I think I kind of like her to grow up with this one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she might actually, she's going on two. Yeah, and she's not quite there yet. She's but. not quite there yet, but also if animation and s- songs hold her attention, if if like she's going to be glued to the screen, it's usually because somebody's singing or because something's animated or because there's a cat. Those are the three things that get her. She, she might actually sit with us and watch it. She wouldn't. I don't think we could just plop her in front of it and go make dinner quite yet. But we'll get her. We'll get her locked in there. Get her brainwashed. Young, make sure she likes Disney and subscribes to all their stuff for the rest of her life and buys all of their merchandise. Ho, ho, ho. So we're going to watch Mickey's Christmas Carol tonight. This is what, by we, I mean our listenership. It's going to watch Mickey's Christmas Carol while they're frying up fish sticks for their kids. I don't know why I said that just with this din, because you're making fish sticks. Don't make fish sticks for your kids. Gross. Yeah, don't do that. And I forgot that I, how often I eat those as a kid. But I'm glad you brought that memory back. When, when I think of sitting in front of the TV waiting for mom yeah. to finish dinner, it's because mom's making fish sticks and macaroni and cheese, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's not yeah. the only thing we ate or anything like that. But if it's like, all right, kids, sit down. We got to get dinner on the ketchup. table. Yeah. Everybody did it. Everybody did it. I don't blame them. No. But luckily, my child will at least get chicken nuggets. <sighs> all right. So... Fry up your stupid fish sticks while your kid watches Mickey, and then you can watch George C. Scott or Alistair Sim, whatever you're in the mood for. Those are the choices. If you really are just totally devoid of any other Christmas content and you want to watch something that may passably entertain you, and you have a high tolerance for Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, and you like the idea of hearing more songs by the greatest showman La La Land team, then you you might want to watch Spirited. And if you're a connoisseur of film or Christmas Carol, you might want to watch Scrooge from 1935. And maybe. And if you want to support our podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Sandy. If you want to not be a Scrooge this Christmas. If you don't want to be not Scrooge this Christmas, Scrooge in his redempt redempt state. In his redempt state. Redeemed, we say. Redeemed. Scrooge would go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. He'd sign up for the $50 level, no doubt, where he would get to enter into his own version of Patreon film school. And he would, as he did it, he would say, I'm as giddy as a schoolboy. He would be Because as, I'm supporting sanity at the movies. Right, as giddy as a schoolboy. Yeah. Or, oh, and speaking of schoolboys, I think I've forgotten to do this the last couple of times, but I should never forget this. You know who else is a boy insofar as he's a male? It's. List. Did I lose my patrons list? Oh, here we go. All right, this person's not actually a schoolboy. It's a schoolgirl. Jacqueline. Jacqueline? Yeah. She's our Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness winner. All right. And what is it that makes Jacqueline so worthy of the Patron Choice Award of Awesomeness, Ben? Well, if Jacqueline were visited by three ghosts of Christmas, she would become an even happier person. And she already is. It would be a total waste of the ghost. <laughs> yeah, time. obviously, it would just a waste of time. <laughs> it would be a boring story that we never read. Oh, that makes her pretty great. Thanks, Jacqueline. Thanks, Jacqueline. <laughs> Ghosts would not choose you. Yeah, because there would be no need. 
And because the ripple effect of your goodness would serve society in a very small way. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not rich or important. And maybe you are. I don't know. Sorry. Why, why am I insulting our patrons? I don't know. You know what? Maybe ghosts are going to make you 4% better because it's going to serve you and society that much because you're that important. It's like we need Jacqueline to be tip top because she's so rich and famous and important that she'll make everybody that way. Okay. Goodbye, folks. Until next time. God bless us, everyone. I can't say bah humbug to that. <laughs> <laughs>